0: Um, I went to uh, Bible college, graduated in 1967, and uh, it was a three-year course back in the old days, uh, back in the days of J. Frank Norris, some of you might remember that name, up in Dallas, Fort Worth area. They had a uh, school they called a seminary, which was actually a three-year Bible college, is what it was. And for a long time, that's what a lot of guys in independent Baptist ranks did, went three years. And so the year I went, they were having their, uh, the the last year of just the three-year course, and the next year they were offering the fourth-year course. Well, I went to the uh, academic dean, and I said, uh, I I think I'm going to go to school the fourth year because I didn't know what I was going to do at that time. And uh, everybody's asking, what are you going to do? And I was making up stuff and everything. I didn't know what I was going to do. I knew I was going to get married. That's kind of where I was, and so we got married after our second year. And so, the third year, he said, uh, wh- uh, I, "I said I want to. I believe I want to go to fourth year." And the academic dean, a real good man, a good man, he looked at me and said, "Hmm. Let me see." Gets up and he goes over to a file, pulls out my transcript. Hmm. Hmm. Hmm, he looks at me, looks back, hmm, hmm, folds it up, puts it back in the folder and said, Sam, you are not fourth year material. I said, well, okay, <laughs> I guess I won't be back fourth year. So the reason I'm saying that is you can just call me Brother Sam now, The pa- I've told the pastor before, but I'm no doctor. And he just forgot. I don't want to correct the pastor in front of everybody, but I'm not. I'm not a doctor. I'm not even into the doctor scene. So just call me Brother Sam. I've been that for the last 52 years. And somebody calls me something else, I don't even know who they're talking to. You know. So we can do that, and I'm I I, I kind of like it really, and uh, kind of like the homey type of thing. You know, and that's who I am. You know, just Brother Sam. That's fine. If you call me Brother Davidson, I, that's fine too. But uh, that's. Kind of my background and, and uh, where I've come from. We've had some speakers like Brother Chapel that's come to Heartland before, and we're walking up and down the sidewalk, and students come up and say, Brother Sam, how you doing? Brother Sam, and he and some other preachers just about hyperventilate. They called you Brother Sam. Boy, that's my name. That's who I am, you know. And so anyway, you can just do the same, all right? So thank you, Pastor. Anyway, I've, Brother Chapel, in fact, has said to me, well, you're a doctor to me. And I said, well, you're the only one, because, uh, and so anyway, he kept doing none- nonetheless. And so just thought I'd throw that in. I can tell that really went over great. Now, um, <laughs> we have some music on the uh, back table back there. My wife is there, and we have some really nice CDs there. There's a group called the Amen Quartet. These are all men that at one time were at Heartland Baptist Bible College. All of them are graduates, married men now out in full-time ministry. And they were all in the Glory Band Quartet at some time, or n- not at the same time, but at different times. And uh, through a story, I'll spare you the long uh, of it, uh, they were at a meeting. I saw that they were there. I said, all of you guys were in Glory Band. I saw that all four parts were represented there. I said, you guys need to get up here and sing. And so they tried to say no. And I said, you don't say no. Uh, you were taught better than that here. So they all four got up and sang. And while they're singing, having not sung together, having not practiced, but about five minutes while we were singing another song, they got up and sang, and and everybody, all of us were sitting there like, my soul, this is quite a sound. And so uh, everybody told them, you did a great job. Ah, yeah, they blew it off. And then we convinced them to listen to the recording of the song they sang that night. And they looked at each other and said, sort of went like this, that's not bad. So they start getting together, and they've now produced and are working on. They produced four and are working on their fifth CD, and it's called the Amen Quartet. And they do this as a as a uh, an alumni project, and the resources are, go to pay for their next recording and such as that, and the surplus goes then to the alumni association. This this recording, those four CDs back there, it's amazing. I encourage people. If you're listening to these the first time, don't be driving. You might get happy. Turn loose the wheels of the car, uh, steering wheel, and just rejoice in the Lord. You know, so you want to be careful, and it's good. It's good gospel music. We do a lot of southern gospel type music, but not all southern gospel music is worth hearing. But there are still some great songs and some from the past as well that are really ministered to the heart. Good harmony, wonderful. We have also back there the 20th uh, uh, anniversary collection of some of the favorite uh, songs from the Heartland groups over the past 20 years. And uh, you can get that for $10. The other CDs and the plastic cases are $10. These are 12 Or three for $25 on the Heartland CDs. We'd be happy to sell them to you. And if you look at me just right, I'll give them away. I'm not supposed to give away. Uh, because the money goes to help uh, produce the next round of music and also cover some traveling expenses that our groups have that are not covered uh, sometimes by the offerings and such as that. So they're there. It's good music. It'll lift you up. It's a blessing. So we'd be happy for you to avail yourself to that. Uh, Thank you for the opportunity to be back at Victory Baptist. And my wife and I are looking forward to these days. It's amazing to me. I mean, I do this almost every week. I preach somewhere on Sunday, usually through Wednesday. Go back on Thursday to Oklahoma City, teach the homiletics class on Friday, and take off again on Saturday. And I do this over and over uh, throughout the course of the year. And so to uh, be back here and to be at this place is a blessing, and we enjoy it. But it's amazing how time goes so fast in these meetings. I mean, it seems like we just get here and get settled in good, and, and uh, the four days are up. Now, granted, I'm doing the preaching. That makes a difference. You said if you had to sit out here and listen to you, you might think it seemed like a month. Well, that may be so. But I can just tell you that the time goes so fast. And I want to quote from A.W. Tozer, who said, God will speak to the man who listens. I still believe that. And not just the man who listens, but to anybody that will give an ear to God. God will still speak. And as we come into the days that we, I mean, we know we're in the last days, and we see how things are spiritually, and we see how things are in country, uh, how it got to be somehow that uh, people came to the conclusion that we need preaching less instead of more is absolutely beyond me. Pastor, I was talking about that before church. There are churches that are closed. Their doors are closed tonight so people can do family stuff on Easter Sunday. Please, somebody help me. Is this on? Well, you're looking at me. I'm wondering if you're even hearing what I'm saying. There are people that don't have church around Christmas time to honor G. Je- no, that doesn't honor Jesus. Come on. Isn't that amazing? And what Paul said ought to be done so much the more is being so done so much the less. And that's a sad thing. It, it really is. But you're not going to be a part of that, are you? No. We're going to be here Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday night. And looking forward to a good time together in the Word. God will speak to the person that will hear. And that's the truth. That is absolutely right. John 21 is where we are tonight. The Gospel of John and chapter 21. John 21. In the Gospel of John chapter 21, why don't we begin reading in verse 19 and we have a I'm sorry, I'm still looking at chapter 20. Verse number 15, and we don't have a long text, so let's stand together and read, beginning in verse number 15 of John 21. Now we're going to work into the passage, what took place before here in just a little bit, but let's just start reading there, verse 21, uh, verse 15 of chapter 21, and I know you recognize this, many of you do, it would be familiar. So when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto me, Feed my lambs. He saith to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved uh, because he said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, feed my sheep. And then Jesus goes on with some other words to tell Peter of a coming death that he will experience. And then encouraged him to follow me. That's the end of verse number 19, Jesus' words to Peter, follow me. And uh, he has to address that again in verse 22, follow thou me. Father, we thank you for this beautiful Lord's Day that we've enjoyed. We've enjoyed the time of fellowship over the meal at lunch. Certainly we enjoyed the time of assembling this morning and looking into the word and and uh, thanking you, O oh God, the fact that you gave your Son to die for our sins and to be buried and to raise again from the dead. Thank you for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for the effect it has had uh, for our life in time and certainly for all eternity. Now I pray that you would help us as we consider this passage tonight, that we not think just of Simon Peter long ago. But we allow that because this account lives in your Word, then we understand that the question that you asked to Simon in this situation, you continue to ask today. Lovest thou me? Now I pray that your Holy Spirit would be at work and that you would accomplish your will. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. God bless you. may be seated. We're going to consider this incredible account that is before us here tonight, and consider something about Peter's life. This is an incredible time of Peter's life. There can be no question about that. What Jesus is doing and what is accomplished by what he is doing here. Now, he was an incredible character, wasn't he? Simon Peter. We we all know that. You read through the Gospels and sometimes you're saying uh, when he says, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. We're saying, yes, way to go, Peter. But those moments don't show up very often. They don't last long. And we're scratching our heads saying, what was Peter thinking? You know, I mean, that's just sort of the way his life goes. Uh, There's the time when Jesus said to his disciples at the feeding of the 5,000, he said to his disciples when they didn't understand him, the multitudes did not. Jesus said, will ye also go away? As many others walked away, and Peter spoke up again. And he said, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life, and we're happy for him again. But those moments aren't very often. He had some very, very difficult times. For example, after he had said, in fact, immediately after he had said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, Jesus said, um, Thou hast well said, Simon, uh, because flesh and blood has not revealed this unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. It was right after that that Jesus said, I'm going to Jerusalem, I will be delivered into the hands of the chief priests, scribes, and the elders, and I will be killed. That's when Peter takes hold of him and says this shall not be unto thee. If you remember that. That's when Jesus had to say to him get thee behind me Satan. You're being adversarial to me. Get thee behind me Satan. Thou art an offense unto me. And so, we remember that time, and and remember that uh, Jesus said to Simon Peter, uh, Simon, Satan hath desired to have thee, that he may sift thee as wheat, but I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. That's the place where Peter spoke up and said, Lord, I'm ready to follow you all the way, even unto death. And Jesus answered and said, before the cock crows, you'll deny me three times. So it kind of had the ups and downs in Simon Peter's life and in his experience and his time with Jesus Christ. Now Jesus said to him that one particular time I mentioned, when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Now some look at that passage in Luke 22 and they scratch their head and they say, you mean he had not even been converted yet? And so we know how we use the term uh, to be converted As Peter used it in uh, the book of Acts in chapter 2, when Peter said that they should repent and be converted, that their sins may be blotted out. So we know that to be converted has to do with uh, the matter of salvation. In fact, people often give a testimony, maybe used to more than they do now, give a testimony and say, I was converted at such and such a time. I, I, I was converted and trusted Jesus to be my Savior at such and such a time. And oftentimes that conversion is related to salvation, and rightly so. But I have to tell you that in Luke 22, when Jesus said, When thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren, then the term has nothing to do with his salvation. It has to do with the fact that he is going to experience a fall. And that being converted this time, this word is different. It means to be recovered again from a fall. So uh, Peter was a fallen man like all the rest of us came into the world. He was a fallen man. And he was converted and he came to Jesus in salvation and recognized him to be the Christ, the son of the living God. But Jesus is telling Peter that something is going to happen to you so that you are going to need to be recovered from a fall again. That didn't have to do with the salvation but falling flat on his face when in fact he denied the Lord just like he said he would not do. See, And so from that fall which we are mindful of and was a great fall no doubt about it. We cannot uh, afford to underestimate the significance of what took place when Peter said I do not know him. I know not the man. And saying, I know him not. That was a terrible fall. There was a terrible moment. It was an ugly moment in Peter's life. Now, when we read this morning in John 20 where Jesus appeared to the disciples, you couldn't help but notice as we read there, and if you read the entire chapter, you would see that Jesus spoke to the disciples and he said to them, Peace be unto you. I pointed that out this morning in chapter 20. Peace be unto you. Peace be unto you. But there's something that we need to think about, and that is that Simon Peter's failure, his fall, and the fall of all of them, had not been addressed. It had not been addressed. So they had failed miserably, and Simon Peter in particular, as he singled out in our chapter here, uh, he had failed miserably, and it was a terrible fall, but it had not been addressed. So, after Jesus had appeared to them, he has yet to appear to them one more time, which would be the third time, when he comes to them at the Sea of Galilee. Because, you see, he had told them in another gospel account that they were to go to the Sea of Galilee and they were to meet him there. If you read the Bible scholars, you'll see that many of them uh, believe, and it wouldn't surprise me at all, I don't make a big deal out of it, many of them believe that uh, where Jesus appeared to them the third time, uh, that is in our account, that it was probably at the same place where he had said to them, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And it could have been at the very very same place, at the Sea of Galilee. But now after Jesus is risen from the dead, the disciples are supposed to meet them there, they go to the Sea of Galilee, and they are there. And as you begin in chapter number 21, you'll see that seven of them are named. And these seven that are named, they are following what Peter says because Peter is there. Jesus has not arrived there yet. And Peter says, I go a fishing. Now, he wasn't talking about the recreational stuff. You know, if I tell you I'm going fishing, believe me, it has nothing to do to provide for my family. They would starve to death if they waited on me uh, to catch enough fish to feed the family. But when Simon Peter went fishing, he was talking about the fact that that they are commercial fishermen, and I'm going back to fishing. And I don't think we're reading too much into that at all. I think it's exactly what is anticipated, because don't forget that while Jesus had showed himself alive to them, and they are to meet him at the Sea of Galilee, would you listen to this please? They still had that cloud hanging over them. He, maybe more than others, had that cloud of failure hanging over him. And it had never been cleared away. It had never been addressed by Jesus. And I have to, uh, and I'm going to base it on some of what is said here tonight. I'm of the persuasion that Simon Peter is thinking. I, I, I know that I was supposed to follow Jesus. I know that I said I would. But I have been a miserable failure. And I don't know if I can be an authentic, genuine follower of Jesus or not. But I know I can fish. And he said, I'm going fishing. Not a few people called to follow Jesus in ministry. Not a few have been greatly tempted and some succumbed to it to go back to the old profession. And Peter was there and said, I'm going fishing. And six other men, you can read it in the early part of chapter 21, six other men said, I go with you. Probably it was what some call the Galilee Seven, seven of the twelve that were chosen from Galilee and around Capernaum, the Sea of Galilee. And their occupation was fishing. And Peter said, I'm going fishing. They said, we're going fishing too. And so they went and they fished. I, I can just think, you know, they hadn't done this in a while. I can just kind of hear them, Do mind if I use my imagination a little bit? Well, I don't even know how to preach without using my imagination. So you got to say yes. I mean, if you just use your imagination a little bit, I can just see them as they're getting the boats ready, and they're getting ready to go fish, and they're on the boat, and they may say, boy, this is sort of like old times, isn't it? Get back there around the Sea of Galilee. They knew the Sea of Galilee like the back of their hand. They knew how to catch fish. They had been successful fishermen when Jesus said, Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And so they're sending out to fish. We may fail in trying to follow Jesus. We may have mud on our face as a result of me denying him and all of us forsaking him. But we do know how to fish. Let's go fishing. Yes, sir. Let's go. And they fish. And fish and fish all night, all night, and early in the morning. Jesus is at the shore. He knows what's going on. Come on, he knows what's going on. Children, have you any meat? The answer is no, and I know they answered like that how else would a fisherman that caught nothing answer? No, but we're not worried about it. Sure, they're worried about it. Amazing thing to me, I used to do a lot of fishing when I had a life before I was living up at Stillwater and pastoring the Bible Baptist Church, and I'd get a day off, and on Mondays I'd go fishing during the summertime and this time of year, and I loved to fish. It always amazed me that I'd go fishing, my wife would have the kids, or at least our girls there at the house with Granny, and I'd go out in the country and go fishing, and it was amazing to me that every time I'd bring in a good stringer of largemouth bass, I mean, uh, some beauty, some really nice fish, I'd bring it in, and I'd want to go show Sandra, and I'd go over and say, Sandra, here, I- I'm busy. They're fixing supper, and I'm, I'm all for that too. But she was too busy. Never had time to look. But if I caught nothing, she's standing at the door. She catch anything. And my answer was very kind and sweet. Woman, get back in the house and mind your business. Amen? Come on, something like that. And so here's the disciples and he hollers and he cries out, have you any meat? Did you uh, uh, interpret it? Catch any fish? And they said, no. They fished all night and caught nothing. Jesus said, cast those nets on the other side of the ship. Or he actually said on the right side of the ship. Obviously, it was the wrong side of the ship before they caught nothing. So he said, cast your nets on the right side of the ship. And they did. You know what happened? They took in a haul of great fishes. Now, if a fish worth keeping is about like this, then a great fish, you just study this out yourself, it's a big one. I mean, it it is really something. And they caught those fish so much so that it just about broke the nets and they hauled those fish to shore. Well, Jesus had been there and he knew where they were and he had helped them with the fish. And before they caught all those fish, John had said, it, it, it is the Lord, it, it's the master, it's the teacher, it's him. And Peter puts on his coat and covers himself and goes to shore and he's there and they're trying to drag in the fish and they pull them all in. And Jesus says to the disciples, come and dine. And there Jesus had made bread. Now, I'm I'm just guessing. But if Jesus made the bread, I guarantee you it was good bread, right? They'd been fishing all night. They caught nothing. What better thing to do than to have a good breakfast? And so Jesus said, come and dine. And they did. They had brought the fish to shore. And he had fish. And he had bread. And they sat there. And they began to eat. Well, what do you think they talked about? It appears they didn't talk about anything. What could they talk about? Well, they couldn't talk about their fishing because they failed there too. Come on. I said they failed there too. What could they talk about? Well, we told you we knew how to catch fish. Come on. They weren't going to talk like that. They knew that if it had not been for the Lord showing up, they would have still had nothing. Somebody say amen. They still would have had nothing. What are they going to talk about? Boy, it's so good to be back. Can you see that cloud hanging over their head? I said, can you see that dark cloud of failure that's hanging over their head? Yeah, it's there, all right. And it's never been cleared. And they ate. I'm imagining, preacher, they ate in dead silence. Until at the appointed time, Jesus broke the silence and said, Simon Peter, lovest thou me more than these? And there are people who say, well, now, here's what it probably means about more than these. Now, I'm just trying to say to you that it appears to me, you can look at it yourself, but it appears to me that when he said more than these, it was more than the other disciples. Though all others forsake you, yet will I never forsake you. So, I don't know, I can see where some of these guys may mess up. I can see that, Peter said, but it ain't going to happen to me. Now, Simon Peter... Son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He said, yea, Lord. I do. I love you. He said "Then feed my lambs. And he said to him the second time. Okay, and now imagine this. Come on. It's like a big spotlight's focused right on Simon Peter. And Jesus said, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Yea, Lord, I love you. It's uncomfortable there. It's awkward. Jesus says to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? And he answers and said, Lord, can't you feel the frustration now? Uh, Can't you feel the, the uncomfortable situation? And he said, Lord, you know all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. And I can, I can just sense, if you read it and you pay attention to what's going on, you, you can see that there has to be some emotion. Now, Lord, down you know everything. I know that you know everything. And you know that I love you, Jesus said. Then feed my sheep. This went on three times. Why three times? Well, he denied him three times. Why Peter instead of somebody else? That's what our culture would say. Why would he pick on him? Well, he had the biggest boast. To be dedicated to him. Well, why would he do it in front of other people? That's what some people would say too. Why would he do that? I mean, this is this is really rough. Why would you do that in front of other people? His claim was in front of everybody else. So he says, now knowest that I love thee. You know all things. You know that I love thee. He said then, feed my sheep. Now, we're going to pause here for just a second. Because, uh, you know, you kind of got to, Look at it really close, I, in my estimation, in my study. You've got to look at it really close to really get out of what we're supposed to get out of it. Because when Jesus spoke to him the first time, and he said, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? Jesus asked the question, the word he used for love was that highest form of love, that unconditional love by which we are loved by God. And that unconditional love by which he loved his disciples, 13.1 uh, of John. And having loved his own, he loved them unto the end. And, and so he loved them with this unconditional love. Failures and all, he loved them. And he said, Simon, a son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Agape, you have this highest form of love for me. And Peter's answer was, Lord I Philo, Now, Philo what's that? Well, it's love. It's good. It's just not the highest form of love. It's like two friends love each other. It's called familial love. It's called brotherly love. Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. Kind of a misnomer there, but anyway. The city of brotherly love. They call Philadelphia. And when Jesus said, Simon Peter, do you love me? He said, do you love me with this highest form, purest form of love, this unconditional love like I love you? Do you love me like that? And Peter said, Lord, you're asking if I'm up here and I'm coming in right here. And that's that phileo love." He said, well, feed my lambs. And he said to him the second time, same thing. Simon, uh, son of Jonas, lovest thou me. Agape, highest form of love. He said, Lord, Phileo, you're asking if I'm here and I love you, Lord, but I'm not ready to say it's there. It's here. And Jesus asked him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, Phileo. He used Peter's word. Do you even have that? kind of love for me. And that's when I believe his heart began to be crushed. And he said Lord thou knowest all things. You know that I have at least phileo this kind of love for you. I'm not ready to say that I have this kind of love this highest form but I do have this kind of love and you know that I do. And Jesus said feed my sheep. Now I want us to think about that a little bit. Because I'm convinced of something. You can study it out, and if, if, this is, if this is wrong, biblically, pastor can straighten it out when I'm gone. It's fine. But I, I, I have this persuasion. I have the persuasion that while Peter takes a lot of criticism and a lot of heat, I believe the man, to the best of his ability, where he was spiritually, loved the Lord. I do. I believe he loved the Lord. I don't think he's blowing hot air when he said, I'll never deny you. I'll go with you all the way to death. I don't think he's trying to make himself look good. I don't think he's just boasting and running his mouth. I don't think that at all. I do believe that he felt in his heart that it was genuine. I do love you like that. And, and and at the time that Jesus said, do you have this agape love for me? Twice. Do you have this agape love for me? And he answered, Phileo, I believe that everything in him was wanting to cry out, yes, Lord, I love you to the utmost. I love you with that highest form of love. Yes, Lord, I do love you like that. I believe that's really what, I I, I believe it was just, his. he was aching to say that. Then why didn't he? Why didn't he say that? Well, see, think about where this man's been. He said, Lord, you say you're going to Jerusalem. you say you're going to suffer and die there. You're going to be killed and, and uh, delivered into their hands and be killed. I'm just telling you right now, you're not going that's not going to happen to you under my watch. So he made an endeavor to show his affection, his devotion, and Jesus said, What? Get thee behind me, Satan. Now friend, I don't care who you are, that hurts. I said that hurts and Jesus wasn't calling him the devil but the word Satan has to do with adversarial and as long as he is thinking like a man instead of thinking spiritually. If he's thinking like men think then he is an adversary to the purposes of God because Jesus came to fulfill as we said this morning the purposes of God and the purpose of God was that he go to the cross and pay for sinners and Peter said no 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 this is not going to happen. So it made him an adversary to the purpose of God. And so he tried to express his love, and what he did what happened? He got shot down. He said, "Lord, I am ready to go to you with you all the way to death." And Jesus said, "Peter, I'll tell you this: the cock will not crow today till you deny me three times." Ooh. Shot down again, trying to express his devotion and love for Jesus, and Jesus says, "No, you're going to deny me three times." And now they're taking Jesus away. And Simon Peter is there. And he takes the sword. And he is going. And he swings to cut a man's head off. Come on. We don't believe he was that precision that I'm just aiming for his ear. Just watch this. I didn't know what was going on. He missed and God protected the guy and and he cut his ear off. What's he doing? And Jesus said, put up the sword. I could call 12 legions of angels. Uh, This is not how I'm going to operate. Put the sword back up. Can you kind of get the picture going here? That almost every time that Peter tried to express his affection and devotion to Jesus Christ, it wound up painful. Rebuked, put in his place, that hurts. Can I I tell you something here? That if you want to make yourself vulnerable to pain or to hurt, can I have your attention? I want everybody's attention. If you want to make yourself vulnerable to hurt and pain, then love. 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 Um, C.S. Lewis is the guy we'd go to for theology or anything, but he wrote some interesting things in his work called Three Loves. There's a part in there where he talks about love making one vulnerable to pain, and he said, he said this, if you would protect yourself from the vulnerability of love, in other words, loving something or someone making you vulnerable to pain, if you would protect yourself from the vulnerability of love, here's what he said, Then love nothing and no one, not even a dog. When I read that, I thought, "Ah, that's kind of strange. And then I got to thinking, it's right. Love nothing. If, If you want to protect yourself from the vulnerability of love, love nothing and no one. Not even a dog. As a boy, four, you know, maybe a... Uh eight nine years old we'd been over to see my grandpa on fourth of July we come back home and my dad's a farmer and we had a, a collie dog by the name of Queenie and she wasn't just a dog to have around the house and listen to her yap and mess up the yard she knew how to get cows out of the pond and she knew how to go get the milk cows and all that kind of thing she was a farm dog she was a dandy and we're driving home we come around the curb by the old white schoolhouse there and we're about a mile and a half from home and we drive by and my dad Slows down, and he looks, and us kids look. That looked like Queenie. It looked like our dog Queenie. About a mile and a half from our house. We got home and no Queenie. My dad didn't let us go, go with him, and he went back, and sure enough, it was our dog. And he picked the dog up and went and buried it somewhere. He came home and told us Queenie, that was Queenie, she's dead. And when it says love nothing, not even a dog, I remember thinking, What is this? I mean, it just broke my heart. Well, part of it was selfish, yes. Now, I'm going to have to go get those cows, you know. And I'm scared of the snakes around the pond. I mean, how's this going to work out? So there's some selfishness involved, but we all love that dog. She's a good work dog. She's a good farm dog. I mean, she was worth something, you know. And now she's dead. Don't love anything or anyone, not even a dog. Because the moment you commit yourself to love, You are vulnerable to pain. I have a brother that was married 54 years when his wife came to him months ago and said, I want a divorce. 54 years. I want a divorce. And she filed for divorce, went through the process, moved away, and my brother is just sitting here devastated. 54 years. You probably know some stories, don't you? Some of you may have your own stories about your own personal life. Where if you would never loved that person so much, it wouldn't have hurt near as bad. If you didn't love that child that went wayward so much, the pain wouldn't have been so bad. If that person that passed from this life, if you had not loved them so, then it would have been easier to deal with the pain and the sorrow. I'm saying to you that love makes one vulnerable. And, and, and the man said, if you would protect yourself from love, then he said, here's what you can do. You can do it. He said, you want to take your heart out. And what you want to do is take your heart out and put it in a napkin. Now he's talking very with great imagination here. Take your heart out and put it in a napkin. Find a coffin, open the coffin, and put the napkin with your heart in it in there. And then shut the door and turn the key till it's tied in there. And there it is. Your heart is secure in there. And your heart is free or away from the vulnerability of pain and hurt. Just lock it in there and protect yourself from pain. But he said you need to know that your heart will not only not be broken, it will become unbreakable. And no one can follow Jesus with a heart that can't be broken. Mm. He's right. I said he's right. The reason I say he's right is this. No one, mm, no one can follow Jesus while protecting themselves. Or being what I call in a mode of self-protection. You can't go into a mode of self-protection and follow Jesus Christ. That's not what he said. If any man's going to come after me, you better protect your heart from pain because it can be rough out there. That is not what he said. He did not say, I'm going to run this by again, a little sarcastic, but I think you can handle it. I'm just saying Jesus never said, if you want to come after me and follow me, you can do that, but you've got to protect your heart because I'm telling you it's rough, and I wouldn't want any of you to get hurt. That is not what Jesus said. Jesus said, if you're going to be my disciple and come after me and follow me, You must learn what it is to deny yourself, self-denial, and take up your cross, identify with him, and follow me. Now, let's think here for just a moment. Jesus said to Simon Peter, this is the supreme question, lovest thou me? Did you notice out there when they met and uh, they had had their meal that morning, it must have been a wonderful thing except for the awkwardness of the cloud of failure that was hanging over them and especially over Simon Peter. Uh, Here they are and they're eating there. And Jesus asked what I'm going to call the supreme question. In other words, there was not a greater question, there was not a more significant question that he could ask Simon Peter. He already knew who Jesus Christ thou art, the Son of the uh, thou art the Christ, the Son of the Living God. You are Him. You are the promised Messiah. You are the one. Uh, you, will you go away also? See all these people that profess to believe in me going away. Will you go all away also? Uh, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life, and we are sure that thou art the Christ, the Son of God. And so He knew who Jesus was. And so Jesus is asking Him, and He's trying to clear this cloud away, and He's trying to deal with the failure. Please, He's trying to recover Him from this all he had. And he asked this question three times. Do you love me? He did not say now will you work hard for me? Did he? He did not say will you travel far for me? No. Will you give up your occupation for me? He didn't say that. He said the thing that mattered. Do you love me? Do you love me? And if he couldn't answer that right, then it didn't matter how hard he worked. If he couldn't answer that right, it didn't matter how many travels he made. If he couldn't answer that right, it didn't matter how successful he was over here in business. Knowing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Everybody listen to this. There's one thing that mattered and Jesus nailed it three times. Do you love me? And I submit to you that when I read this passage now, Peter is not really the one on my mind because his record is already settled. Come on, friends. This is over 1,900 years ago. Peter's record's already settled. And like somebody said, we don't gather and assemble together that we might beat up the failures of the past, that we might confront people about their failures in the past. Let's talk about Simon Peter. He should have this and he should have that. We're not here to condemn Simon Peter. We're not here to confront his failure. We're here so the Word of God may confront us about our ourselves. And when I read that passage now, pastor, my Bible reading, come by there about four times a year. Here's what I don't even think about, Peter. Sam Davison, do you love me? Well now, Lord, you know I'm really busy right now. And i got a lot of meetings and I used to be pastoring and working with the Bible college and traveling to revivals and all of this. Well, Lord, you know I'm really busy. He didn't ask me if I was busy. There's a lot of busy people in this world. I said, there's a lot of busy people in this world. What he wanna know is do you love me? Well, I'm trying to deal with these people and we got some conflict in the church. We got people that are marriages are on the rocks, and we got children that are astray, we got issues we have to deal with, we have finances we got to work with. Well Lord, well Lord he said one question. Not will you stay up late and make sure that you do all the administration that needs to be done and do the studying that needs to be done and go preach here and go preach there and go visit this one and that one. Will you do that? He said this. Do you love me? And that's still the supreme question to this day. Do you love me? You can't, you can't miss this. Then when he said, do you love me, Simon Peter, agape? Well, Lord... I at least have this. Well, I can't use you till it's up here. Is that what Jesus said? I'll take you where you are, he said. No, I mean, this, this is meaningful stuff. He said, I'll just take you right where you are. Now you go feed my lambs. Do you love me? Well, Lord, you know, I want to say up here, but I've thought that before and I failed and it was painful for me. So I love you like this. Well, he said, then feed my sheep. Simon Peter, do you even have love for me on the phileo level? Do you, do you have that kind of love for me? Lord, you know everything. You know that I do. Then feed my sheep. It's not enough, ladies and gentlemen, that we just profess to love Him. That love produces obedience and it produces fellowship in the sense of serving people. And the only way, the only way that you and I have to serve the Lord is to serve people that Jesus cares about. That's the only way. I've thought about this a whole lot. I'd invite anybody to think about it. I've thought, how can we serve the Lord? You cannot serve the Lord without serving or being a blessing or trying to reach people that Jesus cares about. See, you just can't. You have no other way. Well, I'll sing His praises. Well, that's wonderful. That's not serving the Lord. That's just doing what you ought to do on a regular basis. That's not serving the Lord. I go to church. Wow! <laughs> I said, Wow! You know, that's just basic elementary stuff. To assemble together, that's what the word church has to do with. An assembly, you don't even have a church if you don't have an assembly. Yeah, you know, I've been to church four Sundays in a row. I'm not going to try to discourage anybody and be hateful to them, but I'm just saying, well this is very elementary basic stuff. We go to church. Of course we go to church. We assemble. But Jesus said, do you love me? Then he said, you're going to show your love to me by tending to my sheep. Now, let's let's think about that for a minute. You're going to show your love to me by tending to my sheep. Now, when he came, he said, I've come to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. When he told the parable in Luke chapter 15, he talked about the sheep that was lost and the good shepherd went and found the sheep. And so we understand that he came first and foremost to the house of Israel and to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And then he was also concerned about that Syrophoenician woman. He was also concerned about that woman at the well. And he was also concerned about anybody that, that he would meet that needed salvation and needed forgiveness. He gave attention to them. It doesn't matter if even if they were taken in adultery in the very act he cared about them. Now do you love me? Yes. Okay, then feed my lambs. Feed my sheep. So we could ask folks this question. I mean, I have to deal with it personally. You have to deal with it personally, too. And I'll just ask it to you, but we could ask it to anybody that professes to know Jesus. Do you love the Lord? Oh, do I love the Lord? <laughs> Come on, if you've done any door knocking, you've heard some real... Uh, I used to say wingdingers, but nobody knows what a wingdinger is. So, I mean, you've heard some real lulus, but nobody knows what that is either. But you knock on the door and somebody, yeah. Hey, okay, I'm, well, did you, well, okay, you say you're saved. Yeah, oh, I got saved and they tell you when. Okay, so now where do you go to church? I don't go to church. Well, look, you know, um, I've been in conversation like this. Well, you know, uh, Simon Peter uh, had some real issues. You, If you've been saved and you've been in church before, you know that. Yeah, yeah. And Simon Peter, uh, Jesus said, do you love me? Um, and he said, yes. So he said, well, feed my sheep. I said, so who are you helping of the people that Jesus cares about? What are you doing? Well, um, I, I, I think I'm a... Uh, <clears throat> I, I think I'm a good. I think I consider myself to be a good Christian. I don't go to church, but I consider myself to be a good Christian. Do you love the Lord? Oh, yes, good night. What do you think? I am a heathen. You know, I mean, that's the attitude they have. Goodness. Okay. Well, how's that love for the Lord manifest? And and somebody in this room might be thinking. Well, I'll tell you how it's manifest for me. Here's here's here for me. It's this way. You don't count. I don't count. Jesus didn't say, do you love me according to you? Don't let me stand here alone, friends. Come on. He didn't say, do you love me according to your definition of love? He didn't say, do you love me, whatever that might mean to you? Do you love me? Yes. Then... You give attention to my lambs. Now, oh, oh, I get it. We're talking about an apostle. We're talking about a man that was an elder. We understand that. But I'm just saying to you, my friend, that it makes no difference who you are, apostle or not an apostle. And I know none of us are. Or whether you're a preacher or not a preacher. If you know Jesus and you're going to follow him, your devotion to him is going to be manifest by his terms. And that is you're going to show interest in somebody besides yourself. And you're going to show interest in somebody besides yourself and that little circle that you have around you. It may be your immediate family. It may be a clique that you're a part of. But you're going to show concern. You feed my lambs and you feed my sheep and you feed my sheep. Somebody put it this way. You can't pledge devotion to Jesus as unto a single person. He's married. And his church is his bride. If you're going to show love to Jesus and not have a proper attitude about his church, then it is a bogus love. Amen. Amen indeed. He loved the church and gave himself for it. Well, he was talking about the invisible church. There ain't no such creature. It doesn't even exist. The only expression the church has for this, this age is a local assembly, just like you're a part of right here. A visible local assembly. To say local church. When we talk about the local church, that's like me saying, pardon me a minute. I'm going to get me some wet water. Pardon me while I drink some wet water. Oh, that water is wet. Well, if it wasn't wet, would it be water? No. If it's not wet, it's not water. If a church isn't local and visible, it's not a church. It doesn't exist. And the assembly, a called out assembly, it requires an assembly. Well, to me, church means, uh, <laughs> where do people get off with this? Well, in my thinking, church means, well, I don't care what your thinking is. What's the likelihood people put their brain in gear and come out Right. That's why we have the revelation of God right here in our hand, my friend. And it means what it means. It's like people saying, well, I was baptized. Yeah, but really, where, where were you baptized? Well, in such church? church. Actually, I was uh, two weeks old or a month old or whenever they did. And they sprinkled me and poured water on me and stuff like that. So I've been baptized already. No, you haven't. Well, I think I have. Well, you still haven't. Well, I've got a certificate. You can have it in the halls of Congress and have it written in some faraway place. It doesn't make you baptized. Baptized means what it means. I said baptized means, and listen, when Jesus said, feed my lambs, feed my sheep, we're saying that if you're going to be devoted to Jesus Christ, uh, you can't be devoted to him as unto a single person. Because he is not a single person, he has a bride. Maybe not everybody in here needs this, but maybe we can use this to help people that we discuss things with. But I'm just saying, here's my wife over here. And what if the, today uh, Pastor and Ms. Sonia would have said to me, Brother Sam wants you to come over to the house. We're going to have a great lunch. And boy, they weren't lying. We had a great lunch. So we're going to come over and have lunch. And, and I said, okay, I'll get my wife. And well, actually, could you take her back to the room? We just assumed she didn't come today. And you just, we just want you to come. Oh, sure, fine. No problem. Now, how dumb do I look anyway? <laughs> and that wouldn't fly, now would it? If you don't have anything to do with my wife, then I don't care to have anything to do with you. In that sense of fellowship, you understand what I'm saying? If, if you don't care about her, this is my bride. And if you don't care about her, it, it's not going to make points with me and say, we really, we appreciate you, but we just don't, <laughs> we don't care for your wife. She's got a bad spirit about her. She talks too much. (laughs) Whatever. Yeah. Well, no, that's not going to work. And there are people, oh, I love Jesus. I love Jesus. I don't have anything to do with church. That's dumb. I mean, that's really, why don't you just wear a sign that says, stay clear, I'm ignorant. I mean, (laughs) I'm dangerously ignorant. (laughs) No, I'm serious. If we're going to serve him, if we're going to show our devotion to him, it will be manifest, our love for him, by our life in his church. And we care about others beside ourselves. Listen, this needs to be said time after time after time in this me-focused generation that this church does not exist for you. It's, that's just the opposite of the message that's out here today. It's all about you, you. It's all about you. The songs are all about me, me, I, me, my, I. And it's all about you, and it's all about you. A New Testament church doesn't exist for you. It exists for him and his glory and his purposes, and it is the agency by which we show our devotion to Jesus Christ. Our devotion to those in the flock. Not the building, not the property, was right to take care of things, but the people within the flock. And then knowing that he came to seek and to save sinners, we show our devotion to him by through the evangelism of a local New Testament church, we try to reach others with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's, That's what he's saying. Now, do you love me? And what he asked, he asks, do you love me? But you may not know some of the things I do. Uh, if charity or love is not the driving factor, you're a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. Now, I'm not crafty enough to think that up. That comes right out of the Word of God. And if what we do is not motivated by our love and devotion to Jesus Christ, then here's what we do. We can work and work and work and profit and profit us nothing. Read 1 Corinthians 13. It's right there. Why, if we should give our bodies to be burned and have not love, then we burned for nothing. Something to think about, isn't it? And he says, lovest thou me more than these? I wonder... If there's somebody here, I, I'm not accusing anybody, but I, I'm just telling you, I've pastored uh, for 36 of the 52 years I've been in the ministry, and and I, pastor, I pastored some people at Southwest Baptist Church that technically I was called their pastor for 10 and 15 years and never was their pastor. You know why? They wouldn't let me. They wouldn't let me. A pastor disappointed me one time. A pastor hurt me one time. That's not going to happen to me again. And so I have people that have never given me a chance to be their pastor because they're protecting themselves from ever getting hurt like that again. You can't go into a mode of self-protection and follow Jesus Christ. You cannot do it. You, you cannot be his disciple if you're trying to. Well, I had an experience at church one time, and it was so hard and it was so difficult. And I'm just said, I'm going to go to church. I'm not going to be a, you know, I'm I'm not going to set that kind. Of, I'm I'm going to go to church, but I'll never let myself be involved like that again. I'll never let myself get close to people again. And there are people that come in this door, and they don't think anybody knows about it. But everything about their body language is possible. And I should say, I don't know that it's so, but people could come in this door. And everything about them, they are saying to others, you can only get so close. Because I'm not giving myself to you. And I'm not giving myself to help you. And I won't go out of my way to be a blessing to you. I've done that before, and I wasn't appreciated. I've done that before, and somebody else that did less than me got far more attention. I've done that before, and the very person I tried to help hurt me. And I've done that before, and that's not. I will never hurt like that again. Now look at me, saints. That is just so unlike Jesus. And you can't be His disciple. You're saying, I'm not saved. If you're saved, you're saved. But you're not a disciple. If you're protecting yourself from hurt and pain. If you love Him... You will never be at a time in your life when you're not vulnerable to pain. Ever. <laughs> well, that's real encouraging. It's also true discipleship. I said it's also true discipleship. Well, you probably had it easy. You've had this and had that. Now, look, I'm just telling you. My wife and I, we look back at 52 years of ministry. We measure the pain and the hurt about like this. We measure the blessings. We can't even reach our arms out far enough. But it doesn't mean I don't have a scar or two back there. You understand what I'm saying? If I pulled my shirt up, you'd see a few marks back there. Figuratively speaking, I've been stabbed in the back before. I've been through some things that are not fun and that were hurtful and that were painful, which has nothing to do with how I should treat the next people I'm trying to help. I said it has nothing to do with how I should treat the next people that I'm supposed to be a help to and be a blessing to. And you said if you knew my story, actually I probably do. Well, maybe not the details of your specific story, but things just like it. And isn't it something? Have you in your life failed Jesus? It's entirely possible to miss the whole point here. Well, yes, but Peter, he'd tried to show his love to Jesus before, and he was was hurt. Uh, Excuse me. He's not the hurting one. He's the herder. He's the one that said, I know not the man. I don't know him. Curse, curse. I know him not. He's not, excuse me, he's not the victim. I said, Peter is not the victim here. See, and and yet, through all my failures, Jesus still says, "Son, I got a work for you to do. I got a work for you to do." And somebody says, "I've tried this before and I failed." And you know what he's saying to you? Do you love me? And here's what I want you to do: I want you to give attention to my sheep, I want you to care about my sheep, I want you to care about somebody beside yourself and those within your circle. I want you to care about everybody that I care about. That'll keep a man busy for a lifetime. I said, that'll keep a person busy for a lifetime. I'm going to care about the people that Jesus cares about. And I hope you'll go up and put your head on the pillow tonight and you can hear Jesus saying, your name, do you love me? Lord, do you know the check I wrote today? That's not what I'm asking. He's not poor. I said, he's not poor. Do you love me? Well, they were knocking these doors and passing out all these flowers. Do you realize how far I walked? Well, if you're mad about it, you may have uh, the wrong motive that are on here. <laughs> and the real question, though, is no, not how many doors did you knock, how many blocks did you walk, but do you love him? That's what he wants to know. What he asked, he asks. And Father, tonight, it's as though we can hear you saying... Our name. I don't read Simon. Son of Jonas. I hear Sam Davison. Child of my father. Do you love me? Do you love me? And here's what I have for you. Care. Show love. care about sheep, sick sheep, weak sheep, wondering sheep, belligerent sheep, rebellious sheep, care about my sheep. Could be there's somebody on the roll of Victory Baptist Church right now that may not even be interested in a visit from the pastor that some member of this church could be a huge blessing to them by just caring, by just caring, by just challenging them. Fall back in love with the Lord. You need to fall in love with the Lord again. You don't need your way. You don't need everybody to come around and say, I'm sorry for this and I'm sorry for that. You need to fall in love with the Lord yourself and move on. Lord, I pray that you would work in the hearts of your people. There's somebody in this room that says, I, I, I'm not doing less, but I'm not sure but what I'm loving less. And they recognize that. It's, it's been made known to them tonight, perhaps. And they just need to come and say, Lord, I, I I need reviving. I don't want to just go through the motion and have it be like a sounding brass or a tingling cymbals, a symbol, something that would profit me nothing, something that accomplishes nothing. I want to love you as you ought to be loved. I want to love you like you love me. Maybe there's some people that need a revival of just loving Jesus Christ again. You know, you know, I don't know. Now I pray that your Holy Spirit would work in a wonderful way. Is there somebody here that doesn't know you in salvation, oh God, that they would humble themselves and simply trust you and call upon Jesus to forgive them of their sin and be saved. I pray your blessing upon this invitation time. For Jesus' sake, amen. Let's stand together, shall we? The invitation is open right now. If you need to take time to separate yourself from...